Well, hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Resurrection City Church uh, this morning. It's good to see everybody here. Um, really great to see you all here. Thanks so much for being here this morning. Um, we are actually, I, I'm really excited today because we're actually kicking off a brand new sermon series that I have been really excited for like all summer. I've been putting a lot of work into kind of preparing and reading uh, to prepare for this sermon series. And we're going to be going through the book of Daniel, okay, the book of Daniel, which is um, found in the Old Testament. It's kind of uh, about halfway through or a little bit towards the end of the Old Testament. Chronologically, it takes place in a right about uh, the same place as well. And we're going to dig into all of that uh, as we go through the series. And this is going to, we're going to run through this series kind of throughout the rest of the fall. And it's going to take us right into uh, Advent season. And so for the next uh, 15 or so weeks, we'll be kind of working through the book of Daniel. Now, the book of Daniel is one, if you like don't know it super well, you know at least a couple things about it probably. One is that it, it involves a guy getting stuck in a lion's den at some point. Um, and then the other thing you might know about Daniel is there's some super weird visions that happen uh, in the book too. So we'll, we'll come to all that and we'll explain um, how all of that fits into kind of the big theme of the book, which is what I want to kind of unpack uh, and introduce this morning for everybody, okay? So we're going to kind of set the stage for the book of Daniel so that um, we kind of know what to look for as we walk through the book for the next, uh, next few months, okay? Um, so to kind of set that up, though, I want to jump all the way to the New Testament um, and we just focus on one introductory verse in, in the book of 1 Peter, all right, where, where, the book of, uh, where Peter is writing uh, to this group of people that he says are scattered throughout the provinces of, of Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, all these kind of widespread places in, in the Roman Empire. And the way that he addresses them, okay, where he says to God's elect exiles that are scattered throughout all these places I just mentioned, okay, I want us to focus on that word exiles there, because that actually helps us to understand uh, the book of Daniel as a whole. If we can kind of get that concept, then we can understand what's going on in the book of Daniel and what it, has to say, what it has to say for us today, like why it's such an important book for us to spend time in, um, perhaps even more so than, than, than any other, or like, like in other places in history, okay? Now, the reason that, that Peter calls um, them exiles is because they're a group of people, all these people who are kind of displaced uh, from, from their true home, okay? That's kind of the, the idea here when, when Peter uses that word, because that's what an exile is. It's someone who, who's from another place, but they're not currently living in their homeland. They're living somewhere else that's not their actual home, okay? And Peter's making the point that Christians are people who are always kind of displaced from the place that we actually belong. That's what it means to be a Christian in some sense. Okay, our primary citizenship is, is somewhere else. All right, and so even though we live here, we, we make lives here, we, we kind of uh, settle down and, and we work for the good of the city that we're in, we come to love this place, it's still not quite home for us. Okay, and, and, and Peter's aware of that as he's writing this uh, this book, and, and as he addresses the people that he's writing to in calling them exiles. Now, if you read the rest of the book of First Peter, which, which we're not going to do, we're not going to really, we don't really need to keep going from here, but you'll, you'll find that, like, the, the people that Peter's writing to are actually being, like, persecuted and killed for their faith. So they're like, yeah, you, you could, uh, you, you don't have to be so subtle, Peter. Like, we get it. We, we are completely displaced from the society we're in. 
all right? But that remains true for us even when we live in more comfortable societies for us as Christians, okay? Even, even in societies that might, what we might call a Christian nation, right? Quote, unquote, a Christian nation, right? We are still um, not totally comfortable. We're still at least at the very, on the very best days, we're going to feel a little bit off. Okay, we're going we're gonna to vibrate at a little bit of a different frequency, even on the very best days. It's kind of like, you know, the weather's changing now, and, and you know how you get some days in the fall where you just are like, you get up in the morning and you look at what the high is going to be that day, and you're just like, you can't decide what to wear. Is this t-shirt weather still, or should I be wearing a sweatshirt right now, right? It just can't get quite comfortable no matter, no matter what I put on. The weather's just not right, okay? As Christians, the weather's never totally right. We're always going to feel a little bit uncomfortable and not know exactly how to fit in. And that's kind of the point uh, that Peter is getting at here. This is, this is what he wants us to kind of uh, recognize, is that we're never going to be fully comfortable where we're at, all right? And the book of Daniel um, highlights this theme of exile. It's kind of like the basis for why the book is being written in the first place, all right? And so we're going we're gonna to focus on the theme of exile today and kind of trace it throughout the Bible because it's actually a really important theme that we see show up in all sorts of different places in Scripture. All right, Even when we go back to the Garden of Eden itself, you might be surprised to know or to think about it from this way that exile has actually been, uh, it actually is kind of how the Bible starts off. It's one of the, one of the key things in how the Bible get, takes place, right? Because you have humanity and they get created right they get they get stuck in this garden that God has put them in and he's, he's created them to to worship him and to image him out into the world which means they're supposed to to wisely kind of care for creation and to live as God has called them to live within the within the world that he's put them in all right and that's centered in this garden of Eden which is this this paradise where they're where they're living and they're in close communion with God and and what happens is Adam and Eve they trade this image bearingness for some pleasurable looking fruit, right, and, and also the chance to be like God or to, to have the qualities of God of kind of deciding this is the way that, that we're going to rule the world and it's not going to be in the way uh, that God has called us to do. And so, and so the response from God is a kind of exile. They're, they're sent away from the Garden of Eden and, they're, and they're, they're like exiled from the Garden of Eden, right, and, and humanity's relationship with God has been, has been uh, broken ever since then. All right, and so exile kind of kind of forms the the whole reason that the Bible has been written in the first place is because Adam and Eve are now displaced from this place that they've been put, the Garden of Eden, where they were dwelling with God, where they were doing what God had called them to do. And so everything in the Bible since then has kind of been about getting back uh, to that state again. And that's what the great hope at the end of the Bible is: is that someday, um, someday that will be completely and fully restored. Right? That's our hope as Christians. But but God doesn't actually give up on humanity after they leave the Garden of Eden, right? He stays with them, right? He keeps bearing with humans and working to kind of uh, w- uh, undo the consequences of this first exile. And so, um, so the people uh, of Abraham, right? God comes to Abraham and he sets him apart as this nation and says, you're going to be this unique nation that's going to be uh, set apart. You're going to have this proximity to me. You're going to have this closeness to me that no other nation has, all right, and through you, I'm going to bless the whole world, all right? And, and, and that's going to happen through, through your proximity and your, your worship of me. You're going to be a special nation that's going to bless the whole world, all right? And that's kind of what the whole Old Testament is about, is this nation of Israel that has been set apart uh, by God to worship him and to be in proximity with him and in, in, 
to some way, right, sometimes it's a bit ambiguous as to what this looks like, but to bless the world. Okay, that's what it says in Genesis 12, verse 3. So a lot happens in between there, right? And, and Israel ends up in slavery, and then uh, they get set free in the Exodus, and then they go to, uh, they go to Mount Sinai where they're given this law, which is going to es- officially est- kind of uh, establish uh, the covenant between God and this people, uh, Israel. All right, and then from there they go on to be uh, a kingdom, and that kind of takes us to where the book of Daniel starts off. Um, but one of the things about the law that God sets up with, it, with Israel, the, the covenant that he's put in place uh, with them to kind of uh, nurture this, this worshipful uh, and, 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 and close relationship that Israel has with God has like a kind of clause in it that if Israel comp- you know, completely so like abandons this calling that they have, then they themselves will go into an exile as well, all right? And we find that in, in, in Deuteronomy 29 and 30, but it gets really uh, explicit, explicitly kind of explained in the book of 2 Kings in a way that's really easy to kind of understand what's going on. So in 2 Kings 17, uh, chapter 17, verses 14 and 15, the author says, but they, and this is, this is Israel here, they would not listen and were as stiff-necked as their ancestors who did not trust in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and the statutes that he had warned them to keep. Okay, this is key. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. All right, so if you read the Old Testament, you, you see that Israel has come, you know, all the t- they're, they're always the stiff-necked, the stubborn, they're set in their own ways, they kind of refuse um, in, in many different places to follow and worship God and to live it out. And he bears with them constantly, but at, at a certain point, God says, listen, you have followed worthless idols to, to a certain point. You've, you've traded worship of me and you've traded this opportunity to be um, this, this chosen people in the world so, so much that you yourselves have become worthless, all right? You, you've traded away a chance to live in this beautiful lake cabin, right? This beautiful lake cabin by the sea that fixed with all the amenities, like the kind of place that we want to get away to every single weekend in the summer. Um, because you saw some kids on the beach making little sandcastles and said, I would rather hang out with those kids in the mud than live in this, this, beautiful, this beautiful palace that you've put, you've put together for me, right? You've said, I want to be like everybody else, and I want to go down and, and play in the mud with those other kids. And God said, um, in this really, like, this harsh condemnation of them, you, you imitate the nations around you so much that, and worship their worthless gods so much that you yourselves have become worthless in the process. And the result of that is exile. The result of that is now I'm going to send you off, all right? You're going to get what you want to a degree, okay? You're going you're gonna to get out of this thing that you guys seem to, to so badly have been trying to, 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 to kick and scream and get yourselves out of. I'm going to give you what you want here, all right? And so just like a sponge, I've used this analogy before, but just like a sponge can't do its job if it itself becomes so muddy that all it's doing is spreading the, the dirt around that it's supposed to be cleaning, like, just because if, 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 it, if that gets so dirty it can't do its own job, Israel is so infected by its own worship and desire to be like the other nations that it, it can't even be the people that God has called it to be. And so, um, and, so and this is a problem that, that gets made clear in the whole Old Testament, right? 
And, and this is something that becomes really important as we approach the New Testament, that even this chosen group of people, this chosen nation of Israel that had been, had been given this law to show them how to worship God well and had been, had been brought into this close proximity to God, um, they're filled with the same vocation-rejecting, idol-worshiping, covenant-breaking impulse as the rest of the world. And it's not just that, but they want that. And so God says, I'm going to give you over to that. And so the law ends up condemning them instead of setting them apart. It ends up becoming this, um, this noose around their neck that kind of pulls them down. And so God says, all right, fine, we're going to do this. All right, and so the book of 2 Kings continues on. So the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his presence. Okay, there's that word, his presence. They're removed, not just from the land that they're in, which we'll find out that that's one of the things that happens, but his presence is a thing that they get removed from as well. And so only the tribe of Judah was left, and even Judah did not keep the commands of the Lord their God. Okay, just a historical point here. The, the nation of Israel is actually split into two parts at this point. So you have the northern kingdom, which still gets called Israel or Samaria at times. And then you have the southern kingdom called Judah. And that's the, the southern kingdom is the one that actually ends up sticking around a little bit, little bit longer. The northern kingdom gets shipped off into exile by the nation of Syria uh, about 100 or so years before um, the southern nation of Judah, which has the temple and the city of Jerusalem in it. So actually, that's politically a very important uh, thing for them, even though they're a smaller nation than the northern tribes. And so Judah also is not keeping the commands of the Lord their God. They follow the practices that Israel, which is the northern kingdom, had introduced. So therefore, the Lord rejected all the people of Israel. He afflicted them, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers until he thrust them uh, from his presence. So, so God says to them, you so badly want this. I'm going to give it to you, okay? And you're going to find out it's not what you think it is, right? To, to, to play this game where you're relying on other gods, and you're trying to make uh, alliances with these other nations, and trying to play the game that they do, you're going to find that it's not going to go the way that you think it will. And that's exactly what happens. And they get taken, they get carted off into exile. And, and so the book of Daniel uh, picks up when the southern kingdom, Judah, has been taken into exile by the nation of Babylon. All right, and so this is how the book of Daniel starts off. We're just going to spend our time today in these two verses in Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So exile is where the book starts off. And, and the author of the book of Daniel lets us know that this is the setting for the whole book. From, from here on out, this is a group of people that have been carted off from their homeland and are now living in this alienation of Babylon. All right. God has delivered them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar actually becomes a really important character in the book as we move forward, so we'll, we'll talk plenty about him later on. But to all appearances, God has been uh, defeated by Babylon's gods. Okay, so what happens if you come in and you take over a nation is to kind of show that your gods are dominant over the gods of the na or the god or the gods of the nation that you came in. Is you kind of raid their temple, you take all the sacred stuff with you, and you stick it in your temple as a way of showing, hey, our god is superior and has kind of beat up your god. That's a way of showing that, and that's what happens to Israel here. So now you have this this situation. If you're an Israelite, where you're you're thinking one of two things, okay. One, you're thinking, does God still care about us, even though we're in exile, and it's our fault, right? Or, 
And this is probably more likely, um, since, since the people of Israel clearly didn't know their own laws well enough, that they probably didn't really even understand what was taking place uh, in the time of exile itself, that this has been brought on them by themselves. They're probably wondering, did our God lose, and are we now just at the mercy of the other gods of these other nations? Like, God, they, they came in, they, they took over our temple, which had been, had been kept safe for centuries by God, they came in, they seemed like that, that was not a, a problem for them, and they shipped us off into exile. Okay? And so, so you're now asking the question okay, that, that the reader of the book of Daniel have been asking is, what happened? Like, what the heck happened here? We have no explanation for what's taking place here. And can we still trust God now in the midst of our exile? The, the, the book of Daniel, we don't, we don't know who wrote it. It probably wasn't actually written by uh, by the person Daniel, although it for sure includes um, some stuff that he wrote down for sure, some of his visions and stuff that got passed down to the actual writer. And there's some dispute about when it's actually written. We don't really, since we don't know who wrote it, we don't actually know when it was written. But we do know that whoever is, is writing it is writing it to an audience of people who are either in exile in this exact time frame or they're, or they're living in the aftermath of what takes place in the book of Daniel. They're still under the thumb of other nations. They might be back in the land of Israel, but regardless, they're, they, are, they are completely displaced people. They're not living in the kingdom that they, that they were supposed to be living in. All right, And so they're asking all of these questions. And the answer to these questions in the book of Daniel is, is no, God is not out of control. And, and yes, God is still with us even though we have rejected him. He is still not letting us go. He is still working through this. And just like with Adam and Eve, he has a plan to work all this out. Now, the book of Daniel is, is, a, is a book of prophecy. It gets lumped in with the other prophetic books in the Old Testament, which, which just means this is an easy way to read the prophets, all right? So you have God's covenant, and you have Israel as a, as a part of that covenant, all right? You see them in that line there, and Israel is a part of God's plan for the whole world, right? We talked about this sense in which God's kind of, the way that he kicks off his plan to redeem the world, to fix the problem of exile and, and idol worship and rejection of him is to use Israel in some sense. They're going to be part of the way that God blesses the world. So what happens is, is Israel gets, gets tempted to fall out of this plan, and so God brings the prophets who are connected to God, who are, who are covenant, people who are kind of speaking on behalf of the covenant, who are supposed to kind of keep Israel uh, in line with this purpose that God has for them. And as they do so, they speak kind of towards God's plan, God, or God's plans in the future. And we'll see all of these take place in the book of Israel. The prophet Daniel is trying to keep Israel apart of, of what his plans are in the world. So he's putting pressure on them. He's calling them uh, to live in a certain way because that will be the way in which they live a part of what God is doing in the specific situation that they have. And as they do so, they speak about the future, about what God is going to do uh, someday when, when he uh, acts decisively to, to bring his kingdom to earth, all right? So we will talk about all that stuff in the book of Daniel. We have plenty of time if you're like, I want to know what happens. How does that all work out? We have plenty of time for that. So don't worry, we're going to dig into it all. But that's just kind of a, a way to understand what's taking place in the book of Daniel. Now I think we should be really, really careful as we talk about all of this to, to not reduce exile to just merely like a theological point. Because that's what I've been doing so far. I just kind of talking about uh, here's all the theology behind it and here's why Israel ended up where they did and here's all the stuff about worship and, and, and like it, it, you know, it makes, makes sense in a nice system there because... Um, 
the, the reality of, of the exile is completely terrifying, right? This is a group of people who are forcibly taken from their homeland, right, to, to go to another nation, all right? This is not a fun weekend trip where you're going to Instagram everything and let everyone know the cool experiences you're having by, uh, by uh, vacationing in, in uh, ancient Mesopotamia, right? This is, this is people getting ripped out of their homeland and being forced to go live somewhere else, all right? So they have more in common with, with African slaves who, who are taken from their homeland, right, and forced to go live in another nation, somewhere that they did not choose to live, right? Or they have more in common with, with modern-day refugees than anything, Right? These are people who are, who are, who are, uh, who are terrified, right? who, who, who can't understand what is taking place and are being, have all this pressure that's being put on them right? by this nation that's taking them in. Right? Like the, the pressure that they're under in this hostile place, right? viewing them as inferior, saying to them, because, because we just kicked your butts. You, you are an insignificant little nation. Right? You're lucky we didn't wipe you out completely because we could have done that. Right? And so, and making your boys soldiers in our army or slaves and, and, and bringing your women and sticking them in our harems is actually a mercy to you because we're giving your little insignificant country uh, some culture. You should be grateful that you're getting exposed to us, this great nation, Babylon, who, who are the biggest and best nation in the whole world. And so maybe sometime hanging out with us and worshiping our gods, figuring out what it actually looks like uh, to worship some real gods who, who actually go out and do something, will make you guys a little bit better off, right? And so now shut up and just assimilate, okay? Shut up and take it. That's, what the, that's the situation that Israel's in here as they go to Babylon. And so we see that take place in the book of Daniel, and we see how, um, how Daniel, show, Daniel and his friends mainly in the book show us what it looks like to live in that kind of setting, right? How to remain uh, faithful to God, how to learn to worship God well in, in their exile and to be this distinct people that he's called them to be because that's going to be the best for them uh, in the place that they live, right? In the place that God has called them to be, that he has a plan for them in, in having them in that place, right? Then it, this is how, how it's going to be best for them to live. And so we're going to explore all that in, in, the book, in the book of Daniel as we go forward for the next uh, few months here, okay? So as we kind of move into like, as we kind of put all of the, the big picture in place here, I just have a couple of points of application as always for us, all right? The first point of application is, is do not chase after worse, worthless idols, but we have to remain distinct because this is the true way to bless the city that we're in, okay? Israel's dealing with this reality of exile, right? And they're called to stay true Israelites, but not just for the good of Israel, but also we'll find for the good of Babylon itself. God has a plan for them to send them in exile where they are still blessing this nation that they're a part of. And so even though they're not from Babylon, they find that God has called them to be for Babylon. He's called them to be working for the good of the nation that they're in, not fighting against it, but trying to, trying to help uh, to, to, to see that nation come to, to learn who their God is and worship him well. And that's one of the big things we'll see as we look through the, the book of, of Daniel. But it's important for us to have the same mindset as well, to not be following after worthless idols, the idols of the nation around us, but to worship God, to have that cause us to be rem- remain distinct and to see how that blesses the city that we're a part of. All right? Uh, Tim Keller in the book Center Church uh, has a, just a, a great way of explaining how we should view ourselves as a church in, in kind of a similar way. It's not going to be enough for Christians to simply live as individuals in the city. 
They must live as a particular kind of community. In the Bible's tale of two cities, man is built, man's city is built on the principle of personal aggrandizement. While the city of our God is beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth. In other words, the urban society God's want, God wants is based on service, not selfishness. Its purpose is to spread joy from its cultural riches to the whole world. Okay? So he kind of talks about how you have these two cities, and, and they, they, they are at odds, right? They, they are at odds because they're formed in different ways, but they're living together. They're kind of, they're overlapping, and, and, and they have, you know, we have no choice as Christians but to live in a way that, that deals with that reality, all right? And that's kind of where we get our tagline for the, for the sermon series, right? Competing kingdoms, right? And these are not like to show that we're competing with the kingdom of, of man city that, that uh, Tim Keller is talking about here, but, but, but we're going to feel pressure or competition for our worship, all right? And so we need to, to, uh, to not give in to that pressure. He continues on by saying that Christians are called to be an alternate city within every uh, earthly city, an alternate human culture within every human culture to show how sex, money, and power can be used in non-destructive ways to show how classes and races that cannot get along outside of Christ can get along in him, and to show how it is possible to cultivate by using the tools of art, education, government, and business to bring hope to people rather than despair or cynicism. All right, so being an alternate city means that we're intentionally kept different, and we need to be kept different in order to bless the city that we're a part of. We, we have a desire to see um, the worship of God flow out from us and to, to bless the place that we're at, all right? And we see this in, in the book of Daniel. So that just means that there is a tension, and we have to acknowledge the tension and be okay with the tension. Now, this quote might make you a little bit uncomfortable, maybe for a couple of reasons. So, so maybe it makes you uncomfortable because you are like, I don't want to feel like I'm different than the rest of the culture. I actually really want to feel like I'm a part of it. I like the culture. I don't think there's, there's anything about it that should be challenged or that is challenging me to, to live in such a way that is, is bringing me out of tune of worship with God. And, and my prayer is that, um, is that this, this series challenge you to, challenges you to kind of rethink that supposition and say, I am willing to live maybe at uncomfortably in the culture that I'm a part of sometimes, because I actually know it's not just best for me, but it's best for the culture as well. All right, so that's, that's one of my prayers for this sermon series. Maybe, maybe it makes you feel uncomfortable because you're like, yeah, I, I, this culture, it's the worst, it's, it's the devil, it sucks, I hate it so much, you know, it's just going down the, going down the, the, the tube, and like I just, you know, I want to see it burn. I'd be happy with that. Right, and, and maybe you're, you talk about like the culture wars and winning some battle, right? Seeing the rest of the culture as the enemy, and this book is going to challenge that viewpoint as well. There certainly are many Christians that have that view towards the rest of the culture, and Daniel does not call us to live in a way that views the rest of the city or the culture that we're a part of as the enemy. All right. So my prayer is that if this quote makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable in that sense, that this sermon series also challenges you too. All right. Now, in order to do all of the stuff that Tim Keller is talking about here, we need to be careful about what we worship. Okay? We have to remember this, this, this uh, verse in, in, that we talked about, that this thing that led to Israel's exile in the first place, about how following worthless idols and becoming worthless themselves is the way in which like, everything gets, gets started. This is the, the real problem here. Okay? Because this kind of this shows like, a fundamental uh, reality of how the world works. 
and that is that we become like the things that we worship, right? We, we have no, no choice. It's just going to happen to us. And even if we don't realize we're worshiping a certain thing, we will start to become like the thing that we worship. If the thing is, is God, we will, we will become like him in that we will, we will live uh, in lives of love. We will live lives of mercy, right? We will live lives of sacrifice and, and seeking to bless those around us. We will live lives of peace, right? We will live in tune with how we've been created to live if we worship God. Okay, but if we worship other things, then if we get distracted by worship of the gods of the Babylon that's around us, then we will, we will, without realizing it many times, start to take on those qualities. Okay, and so what we have to do is we have to kind of identify the idols of the culture that we live in, right? And so we'll try to do this as we move through the series, but I think it's important to just kind of identify some of those uh, right now, okay? I just kind of want to spend some time walking through some of these things, because these are like these are actual idols that we are, we are presented with on a daily basis from all sorts of different uh, uh, um, angles that kind of come at us and call for us to worship them, promising us certain things that they don't deliver on. And instead, they're worthless, and if we follow after them with our whole hearts, then, then we will become like those things, all right? Worshiping these idols does not bless the culture we're in, even though that's what we're going to be tempted to believe. That it's going to be best for everybody if we just kind of assimilate and worship these things just like everybody else. But in reality, we're not going to be blessing the culture. Money, sex, and power. These are things that Tim Keller identified uh, in, in his quote. But I have, I have another quote that talks, I think, just really gets at the reality uh, of this. You know, worship transforms humans, all of us, all the time. Since you become like what you worship. So those who worship money, power, or sex have their character formed by those strange powers. So that little by little, the money worshiper sees and experiences the world in terms of financial opportunities or dangers. The power-hungry person sees and experiences the world and other humans in terms of chances to gain power or threats to existing power. And the sex worshiper sees the world in terms of possible conquests or rivals. That's by N.T. Wright. Okay? He's just getting at the, the way in which when we f- chase after these things, we start to, it changes how we view the world around us. And it will change how we, how we interact with people. And even if we don't realize that, other people will notice that, right? And we will dehumanize other people as we get dehumanized ourselves by worshiping those, by letting those things have power over us and becoming their slaves. All right, so those are three things, and those have been uh, staples of, of worship in every culture, basically, uh, since the creation of the world, okay? But other things that I think are uniquely geared towards us today, um, self-gratification or self-interest, right? This causes us to see the world in terms of what can this thing or this person or this job or this material item, uh, what can that give me? How will this thing going to fulfill me, right? And if it's going to not fulfill me, then i got to get rid of it. And if it is going to fulfill me, i got to have more, 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 right? No matter what the cost is, i got to have this thing because it's going to make me feel better. It's going to add to my pleasure, all right? And so we will see everything around us through those lens, right? It, and that, this, that's the message, if we're honest, of like just about every TV show or movie or song out there, right? It's like do what makes you happy, do what brings you pleasure, right? And this is something that we got to fight against, we got to push against, okay? Because that's an idol, Second thing, I put Insta-fame, right? I just put Insta-fame because Instagram, I think, is where this plays out so often. But, like, we are, we are, I don't know if this is true of just our culture or every culture because I've only lived in this culture, so I can't, I can't speak to other cultures. But, like, we are, we are, like, 
always thinking about how other people will view us, right? And we have all these places and ways that we try to kind of put on a good show to other people, to let them know, like, hey, I'm cool, or hey, I'm up with what, what matters in this society, right? And I'm showing it by, by what I wear, by what my hobbies and activities are, by the shows I'm watching, by who I vote for, by where I travel, right? Every, everything's an audience. The whole world's a stage, right? This is what Shakespeare would have said. And so, so we're trying to show off how great we are in every single way that we can, right? And there's a pull on us whether we're the pop star that has you know, hundreds of thousands or if not millions of people following us on Instagram or if we just have 10 people on Instagram. We're still thinking about how, what picture myself am I presenting to everybody else, all right? And so, so we think about that when we get up in the morning. We're just trying to put together this beautifully composed picture of who we are to everybody else while not worrying about who we are behind that, all right? That's a huge, huge, huge pressure we have, a huge idol that we have that we're pulled to worship in the society, all right? And we don't, we don't need to worship that because that's going to cause us to just view everything as a chance to make myself look better or as something that's going to make me look a little bit worse. So we've got to fight against that idol, okay? Uh, and the last one I have on here is this comfort. We live in, like, in, in the most, like, decadent society in the history of humanity, right? And we live in a good part of that. Almost everybody in this room is like, we're, we're doing well. Not everyone in our society is like that, but I, I know the people in this room here, we're, we're mostly doing pretty well. Okay, and so, and so we get numb to the world around us, and we want to keep ourselves in that comfortable space. And so we, we are going to, the worship of this idol is going to cause us to kind of view everything around us as a, as a potential to kind of keep that comfort, comfortable equilibrium or as a threat to that. All right, and, and so we want to try to eliminate the, the threats to the worship of comfort and, 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 and try to make ourselves like, be comfortable in every situation that we can, all right? And this is an idol, okay? This is not going to be easy because, um, because living, worshiping Jesus, right? Living in exile, right? The, the whole thing I'm talking about here, which is just true for us as Christians, is not going to be comfortable, right? And we have to deal with that and, and, and be willing to, to spit in the face of the comfort idol because um, that's the reality of being Christians, is living uncomfortably at times. And we just have to be okay with that because we're not, we're not. And so, so here's a challenge that I'm going to offer up to many of you, and, and it's an uncomfortable one uh, to take. I'm just giving you a little warning here. But, but actually, like, ask yourself, what am I imaging, right? How do other people view me? Did, am I someone that sees the world in dollar signs? Do I see the world in terms of conquest, as things to overcome? Do I see the world in terms of additions or threats to my comfort or to my pleasure? Um, do I see the world... Uh, through how others will view me, right? What is the lens in which you're viewing the world? And that's going to show you what you're worshiping. So, so, like, sometimes it can be pretty uncomfortable to take those glasses off and to look at what type of glasses they actually are, okay? But it's something we have to be doing, okay? Because we're going to struggle to live the book of Daniel out if we are not worshiping Jesus. We're, we're just going to have a hard time living this reality out, okay? And that leads us to our last application point. Okay, to worship and trust that Jesus, who took on exile for us on the cross, that he will hold us safe in our own exile. Okay, because, and this is something I've been holding back on a little bit, but God deals with exile. Okay, this problem I talked about earlier in the book, this punitive exile that, that Israel goes into because of their kind of their failure with the covenant, God deals with their exile with another exile. Okay, because 
and the, that exile is him on the cross, right? We see this in Matthew 27, verse 46. About three in the afternoon, the Jesus, who's, who's nailed to the cross at this point, he cries out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so one of the things that happens on the cross is that Jesus goes into an exile from God's presence as well. God forsakes him as he takes our sin on himself. So Jesus in that moment is experiencing an exile like the exile that Israel themselves go into, okay? But through that exile, we are brought back into the presence of God. And so we are no longer in exile from God any longer, okay? Our exile now is not from God. It's not from his presence. Remember that we highlighted that in, in, in 2 Kings, okay? They're, they're, they're removed from the presence of God. Our exile is not from God in his presence any longer, okay? It's like a reverse exile. We are now in exile from the culture Unlike Israel, who was in exile from God, as they sought to become like the culture. We've been set aside for God because of his exile for us. And so because of him taking on that exile for us, we are now in this place where we're in exile from the rest of the world. And, and we're going to dig into that in the book of Daniel. But I want us to, as, as we do every Sunday, to close by reflecting on the cross of Jesus in our, in our communion here. Okay? Reflecting on the fact that Jesus himself took on exile, took on our sin on behalf of us so that we could no longer be in exile from God, but we could be in communion with him. So we are gonna, we're going to come up as we always do on, on these Sunday mornings. We're going to take from the bread that's, that represents God, uh, Christ's body broken for us, and we're going to take from the cup, which represents his blood shed on our behalf, right? These, these things that he broke in the on our behalf to go into exile for us. We're going to take part in that. We're going to do that in remembrance of him, and we're going to worship him uh, for that. So let's close in prayer here before we head into, into that time. God, we thank you that um, even though we, we are people like Israel who are, who are covenant rejecting, we are, we are idol worshiping, we, we seek to go after and chase after all of these other things, God, you... Um, did not send us into exile, uh, but you, you, you brought us back to yourself. You, you said to, to, to our rejection of you, I'm willing to take on the rejection of God in order to bring us back into proximity, uh, into proximity with you, Lord. And we, we thank you for that, Lord. I, I don't think we reflect on that enough, even though we talk about it every Sunday morning here. Um, we do not reflect on what, what it took to bring us back into communion with you. So I pray that that, that would be uh, what is on our hearts as we, as we enter into this time of worship, into this time of remembrance of you on the cross through the taking of communion. And as we, as we move through this book of Daniel, Lord, help us to, help us to, to have that picture uh, in our minds, Lord, constantly, because that is what makes all of it possible. I pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.